Good afternoon, everybody. Pleasure to be here again. Welcome to Divine, a podcast <laughs> discussing the intersection of development and design in the web space. My name's Tom Lucy. I'm a graphic designer um, focused on branding based at The Commons, which is a co-working space in Collingwood, which is where I met Nick. Hey guys, I'm Nick. Um, I run a digital agency here at The Commons um, and we build websites and web apps and that kind of stuff. And you're listening to Divine. So today we are going to talk about colour from a designer's perspective and from a um, developer perspective. So before we get into that, though, I guess, um, Tomo, what have you been doing in the past week, mate? Well, it hasn't really been the past week. It's the past day because we caught up on Wednesday. Oh, that's true. So, so what's you... happened since Wednesday, 2.30pm? <laughs> so many things. Yesterday, <laughs> I went to my old high school to talk to the students about what it's like working as a designer. Cool. Yeah. It was really nice to catch up with, um, I mean, the teachers in particular. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, Viscom was definitely my favourite subject yeah, right. in year 12. Um, and, yeah, so that was great. And... Juggling a few things work-wise. Going to start developing a site this weekend. Nice. Uh, which will be interesting, <laughs> as it always is, as a, I guess, non-developer. Yep, yep. <clears throat> um, so I'm bracing myself for a few, or for a lot of eye rolls from you. Yep, that, I'll definitely be providing them. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What have you been doing the last couple um, of days? Well, actually, I've gotten back on the tools this past day and a half, which has been awesome. So back on the tools is actually like development um, or programming as opposed to doing millions of uh, proposals and communications and scoping and quoting and strategy stuff. So it's actually nice to actually do some programming. It's yep. weird. I've actually forgotten some of my like CSS shortcuts that I had you know, oh. in Visual Studio Code. I just like keep freaking out and forgetting them. So that's been pretty – it's been fun though. So that, that's been good. Um, and then also um, a business I do a bit of consulting for. One of the guys is leaving and he was half um, dev, half sort of um, team support and customer support. So – Trying to look for someone or some people to fill that role has been a bit fun. Um, it's been a bit weird, though, because the company's so flat and all the roles, they're not really that well-defined. And so it's sort of trying to find somebody to fill a few holes, but then also, you know, the idea is that they can sort of bring or create whatever role they, they want to in a yeah. way to try and get them to do projects they love um, and be good at it. Yeah. So it's a bit tricky, um, but it's been fun. Hmm. Nice. Cool. So on to colour. Uh i got a few bones to pick with you. Oh, here we go. <laughs> when did you first think about colour palettes? Oh, shit, yeah. Well, you know, not... Uh, it was a long time into my development career, I reckon, and it was... It's one of those... I mean, obviously, like, you think about colour itself and you're um, using colour a lot when you do development work, but in terms of thinking about colour as a colour palette and being part of a style guide and it being a, a large component of design and sort of a pillar of it, it... it was like quite a while before I actually thought about that stuff. And I think, I guess probably, you know, as a junior developer, you're just there to, to program and build something and hope it works. And you probably don't think too much about the design aspect of things. But then what happens is the first time you build a hobby project and then you're like, cool, it's functional, but it looks so, so bad because you've got no idea what yeah. you're doing or, or anything. So one of the first things you do generally is go into um, 
colorschemedesigner.com. Have you seen those things? I have since um, you shared it with me. Yeah, yeah. And so they're really, really popular in the dev community. And I think that's because, yeah, purely from that fact of just, you know, not having much clue about design and then starting a hobby project and trying to make it not look completely terrible. So, and I think a lot of developers, and maybe this is a bit of um, projection, but I think a lot of developers do have that feeling of, oh man, how do you create this color palette? It's just like magic to me. Like, I don't know, how do these colors just magically end up looking nice together? Mm. Um, And so that's sort of been a bit of a black box. And so... Yeah, I think that's probably people's first sort of introduction into that. And then obviously um, sort of, yeah, as you sort of grow further as a developer, then you start seeing um, lots of style guides and things like that. And then you um, become part of the process of, um, you know, that sort of, I guess, design phase as well and seeing how that all works. Yeah, so how how far – I know you said it was a while, but can you put a time frame – to how long you think it was before you started to see it as... Yeah, like, honestly, probably, like, a year and a half, maybe two years before I was thinking about it in from a design perspective. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And so what's that What's that tool called? That colour Scheme Designer. So what it is, it's sort of... You can choose one primary colour and then it will show you... Um, well, there's a few different settings, but it'll show you, like, two other colours that will match well with it and then all different shades of all those and you can sort of you know, create a colour palette from it. It's a pretty, um, pretty neat little tool. Yeah, cool. And yeah. It, it sounds similar to some tools I'm familiar with. Right, okay, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think there are quite a few of them. But, yeah, I mean, but so then, yeah, fr- from if a developer was trying to sort of create their own colour scheme, um, what, I guess, would you, what, do you have any, like, tips or what would sort of be your process or some resources that a dev could look at to sort of get them on the right track? Yeah, I mean, I probably want to understand a bit more about what they were hoping to make a colour scheme for mm-hmm. first. Yeah. Um in that if it's a part of a brand system, it's mm-hmm. like I'd be considering what type is going in there. and Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, mainly, yeah, what the overall feel of the brand is going to be. Um, I wouldn't just be like, oh, here's some combos. Yeah, that, for sure, that's for cool. sure. But, um, but, like, as an example, say, for instance, like I was creating a little tiny little web app and it was um, it was to house a bunch of quotes, for instance, and then when you load the homepage, it shows 10 quotes and you get to vote on one. And like just something like that that has no branding behind it. It's just a pet little project. Yeah, um, I mean, so so I'd look to tools like the one you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's it called again? The, color scheme, uh, color scheme designer. Yeah. yeah, and then there's I found another one just prior to this talk called Coolers. Uh-huh. It's pretty much you can't get colors dot com. So <laughs> Adobe used to call it Cooler with a K and a U, right. and now it's Adobe Colors. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, which is in line with them ditching Typekit for Adobe f- yeah, yeah, fonts okay. or whatever. Um, that one's good as well, you know, where you paste in a value, mm-hmm. um, which we're probably going to have to unpack as well, the different colour values that are mm-hmm. orbiting the planet at the moment. Um, but let's, I mean, to keep it simple, you input a colour and it'll then give you, you can select, you know, the complementary colour values um, or monochromatic, or triadic, or mm-hmm. a whole a whole different blend of colours, which um, is a good starting point for coming up with a colour okay. palette. But I definitely right. wouldn't say that it should end there. Yeah, okay. Um, I think another really good exercise is to just look at websites that you think are awesome, uh-huh. and. Um, that's a good starting point to be like, oh, okay, I didn't realise, but orange works really well with that navy blue in this yeah, context. Okay. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it's enough to just be like, random colour palette generated, done. Click the button and that's let's take the values, yeah. And um, then the next 
layer of consideration would be, let's say you're doing it for this web app, but mm-hmm. then you have a desire to put together some brochures or some flyers or some kind of print materials, yeah. um, which you want to fall under this brand identity, then uh-huh. you're going to have to think, okay, how do these colours translate to print? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, what's what's the dark arts behind that then? Well, I mean... There's two different kind of universes of colour. One uh-huh. is RGB, mm-hmm. which is uh, based on blending red, green, and blue. Yep, and that's additive, right? Because it's talking about light, basically. That's right. There's the additive, and that is light. And so, as an example, if you've ever been to ScienceWorks, if you're in Melbourne, there's a little experiment there, and they show you know red light, green light, and blue light all shining onto the one spot, and then you'll see white light coming out of that. Yeah. So that's additive. But then on the other side of things, there's subtractive, and that's sort of paint, essentially. So if you imagine you have a white surface, and that's reflecting all the light from it, right? So any light that hits it, it's coming back, so you see a mixture of all that. But then if you put paint on that white surface, it might be red paint, for instance, then what that red paint's doing, it's actually absorbing everything that's not red and then reflecting red. So it's sort of the opposite. It's the absorption that's important in those paints. Yeah. So cool. then when you put then green on top of that red, then the green's absorbing everything that's not green, the red's absorbing everything that's not red. So you end up with this even um, more absorption of the light happening and so even less is reflected. So that's sort of what subtractive is. So essentially, subtractive and print media, that's all, um, yeah, subtractive, I guess, and using CMYK. CMYK, CMYK yeah, yep. for print. Yep, and then all the web stuff, obviously, because you're looking at a screen and light's coming out of the screen, and that's um, that's additive, which is the RGB side of things. Yeah, Um yeah, actually, just in bringing up this, I brought up white in um, Illustrator, uh-huh. and so RGB is equal parts 255 yep. of each value, yep. and so that represents the whitest white, mm-hmm. and then 000 would be full black. Yeah, that's right. And then, and so what you were talking about before, hex, the hex values of that, so the 255 is the same as FF in hex, like it's just a hexadecimal number, which means the same thing. Yeah, and yep. was that something that came about to just simplify the values? Um, I'm not exactly sure why that happens. Because um, it's for web design, hexadecimal values, right? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, like it doesn't necessarily have to be. They're just values of each of the colours. I mean, you could technically probably use them anywhere where there's light, In I imagine. You, yeah, I guess you could assign the same... Totally, exactly. And, and like I said, because the hex values, they're just a different number system, so it's directly translatable to the um, RGB numbers, you know, not in um, decimal, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, a very quick search tells me that hexadecimal number system was created in 770 yeah, AD. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, hexadecimal was created ages ago for sure. But whether or not they were using sort of hex values for colours specifically before that, I, I have no idea, but I would imagine so. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So something that's interesting, I think, is like RGB, when it's when each is 255, it's it's full white mm-hmm. on screen. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, so I want to print this. I want to print this, so I want it to be full white. Uh-huh. Um, and to get, I guess, full white, you're going to have CMYK each equaling zero. Uh-huh. CMYK standing for... Cyan, magenta, yellow, and I think it's can, which is black. Mm-hmm. Um, so if all of those are zero, you're going to think, oh, okay, it's going to print white, right? And it's like, but you you can't print white. Yeah, it's okay. just it's the absence, it's a lack of printing of, of printing. Yeah, so if yep. you print on recycled paper that's quite brown, mm-hmm. your CMYK zero is going to be 
the paper. Yeah, right. So, again, it's the absence of ink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that's a consideration if you wanted white um, ink. You have to actually make sure that it's taken into account. So if you're printing on black paper, you need to have an extra white yeah, yeah, yeah. ink especially for that project. And so are there, um, so I guess there's printing places around that will sort of be like, oh, do we need to use the white in this or are we printing on white paper and it doesn't matter? It's or normally they... assumed that yeah, okay. that it's going to be paper. Yeah, right. It would be an exceptional circumstance where you okay. want white on a dark yeah, background yeah, yeah. and it would be communicated. Yeah, okay. Um, and so then would that mean that, say, for instance, you had um, like a, like you said, recycled paper or whatever it might be, which is a off-white, for instance, mm. and then your you've taken your CMYK values from whatever and then you print on that. Is that then visually going to look quite a lot different? Um, or is the paint, or is it normally just the paint's going to cover it up and it just sort of doesn't really matter? Well, I mean, I think if you were to use a paper like that, it would be intentional. You've done it for a particular purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the texture of the paper looks great. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think about something like that, I'd be considering, you know, just a, a full black ink on yeah, it right, so that yeah, you can yeah. see the texture of the paper underneath to do like a full colour piece on top of... I mean, I'm imagining that recycled paper that has coloured bits in it, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And if that were the case, it might it might look a bit weird. Yeah. Um, the colours definitely aren't going to look the same yeah, yeah. Um, on a brown paper as they would on white yeah. um, because it's going to absorb the colours in a different way. <laughs> I guess a good resource for that would probably just be the place you're going to print and talk to them about it because they would be sort of all over that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's we're getting pretty deep into some, yeah. I guess... Exceptional circumstances in print, um, but going back to coming up, coming up with a color palette, or let's say you're having trying your hand at doing a logo design, yeah, um, and you're doing it on screen, and you're using RGB values to get this this color scheme, yeah, um, and it looks awesome on screen. It's all exciting, bright colors, and maybe it's like I don't know, like mint green blending into hot pink, blending into is that one you Elect- just designed yesterday? Electric for <laughs> blue, and it's yeah. like... But, you know, there are some cases where it's like, wow, that looks sick for yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this uh, fintech, uh-huh. for example. And then you print it out, it's like, whoa, that looks so bad. Right. It's it's amazing the difference between what you can see on screen and yeah. what comes out printed. So a way to combat that is to design CMYK first. Okay. Um, because then you're kind of covered. Yeah, right. Um, do test prints along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's not the most environmentally mm-hmm. conscious approach. An alternative to that is to have a swatch book. What's that? Um, a swatch book, the most well-known would be Pantone, and it's basically um, similar to what you'd see or if, if you're familiar with going to the paint shop and you'll see different coloured swatches. Oh, yeah, like at Bunnings, they have those big shelves with all the little cards and all the colours on them. Yeah, yeah so yeah, if yeah. you imagine something like that, those those huge walls condensed into a, you know, almost pocket-sized... Um, flippy book. Flippy thingy, whatever <laughs> yeah, that's okay. called. So, and you, you peel out each layer and can see the different colours. Yeah, I mean, these okay. each are worth about 250 bucks, so it's yeah, no, right. no small investment, but each colour block... I mean, depends on the one you're using. The one I use is um, Color Bridge, okay. uncoded, which shows what uh, like a Pantone spot color looks like in CMYK. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing in saying this, there's a there's a few things that need to be clarified. So a spot color is not um, 
a result of digital printing. So a spot colour is not um, just a standard printer printing out CMYK. Right. Like a particular uh, value of okay. each. It's been made at the print shop. Right. So it's like not... physically blending inks. Yeah, okay. So it hasn't been blended sort of at the printer head when it comes onto the paper. It's just a singular it's a, ink. It's that's... been a special yeah, ink made for okay. a particular print run. Right. And you'd look at that end of things if you had to make sure that the brand experience was completely consistent mm-hmm. and it was the mm-hmm. exact colour. And that's why Pantone exists. It's to right. um, you have much more consistency in yep, how yep, your yep. brand's colours are presented. Yep. And being able to define it really well so you can repeat it anywhere in the world. Yeah. yeah. So, And, I mean, this colour bridge book that I refer to a lot is for people who... Because it's much more expensive to do spot colour printing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's for everyone else who has to do digital mm-hmm. CMYK printing, which is still an expense for a business. Yeah. So it'll show what that spot colour looks like exactly in CMYK. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you're flicking through, you're like, whoa, the spot colour's awesome, but the CMYK looks like... Yeah, really? Really yeah, bad. Okay. Um, but it also has underneath the CMYK the hex value. Yeah, okay. So yep. you can just type that in on your computer, yep. and then you've got a, a much more consistent... Yep. Um, Identity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're looking at it on screen and coming up with a brand identity based or like a colour scheme for a website based on what you see on screen, um, that colour palette is not going to translate yep. into print because yep. you haven't been thinking about that from the start. Yeah, okay. And not, so, sh- not sure how tech that got there. Yeah, no, that's good. No, um, and so I guess that sort of begs a question as well. What, what's about um, monitor calibration as well? Is that sort of a big thing that's... Very important. By that, do you mean like the like the, the red, like five K or 5K? no? As in like the color calibration you can do on your monitor? I don't actually know. Yeah. Okay. So I've I've seen like I've seen it pop up a lot. Um, just in terms of yeah. So and I think I've done it before as well. So essentially, what you do is you run this program and it sort of identifies at least from your eyes to some degree as well, what the right colours it should be presenting are, or like what the true colours are. And it, I think it's based as well on the environment and the ambient light that's around you and sort cool. of colours that are around you and stuff like that. So you can try and... It's almost like tuning your monitor in a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Just for your individual perception of I th- colour. I think so. Um, I don't know how much it's due to your individual perception versus the environment, maybe even just the variance in the screen that was manufactured, you know, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, But cool. I know that with um, definitely with Apple screens, they're pretty um, good at all. Well, it's pretty um, talked about, I guess, in, in that respect. Maybe not, you know, a regular screen that's not very colour accurate, but I think yeah, the cool. Apple ones are pretty well known for that. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, some things I certainly do, and I, this is probably not speaking exactly to your point, but, like, always have brightness up on full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Very early in the piece, working as a graphic designer, I threw out the idea of using like a flux. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. like blue light eliminator. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I think now it's okay because my glasses have a filter in them right. that um, I guess perform the same thing, but you don't yeah. see the world in a sepia tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, as the day gets later, it's like you can't, you can't, yeah. You can't make recommendations on colour <laughs> with a, a flux plug-in. Yeah, that's it. But that's cool. I didn't I didn't really know that. Yeah, no, check it out. I think there's an app built into Apple that will allow you to calibrate your screen for you. Yeah. What, do, what do you think, like, a, a pure black would look like in print from, like, an RGB perspective or, like, a hex value? I mean, I mean obviously, well, yeah. I mean, I would just say, like, six zeros, right? No. And mm. this is the interesting one. Yeah, okay. Because, like, 
Because, yeah, to get a pure black on screen, it's going to be the absence of any color. Yeah. So, zero, 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 zero. Yeah, okay. But in print, if you just use the equivalent value, the hex is like two, three, one, whatever. Yeah, right. Um, oh, okay. So, I guess it's the mix of paints that sort of absorb every frequency evenly in a way, which might not necessarily be just all three paints jumped on the, the thing. Well, it's yeah. I mean, what it is is it's called rich black. Right. So you're not dealing with um, RGB values anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're actually putting more of um, other colours in the blend, so it's not just 100% black. Yeah, okay. It's or the K in yeah. CMYK. It's 100% K, and then you have, like, 30 blue, yeah, 20 right. magenta, and 20 yellow. Yeah, cool. And what that does, like, if you just print 100% black mm-hmm. and this rich black, mm-hmm. you look at the two, like, whoa, one's really? like a, a charcoal black and one's like rich jets, black. So yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, or like jet black, or as close as you can get. But I think oh, I, yeah, interesting. I should have positioned that question as, like, what do you think the CMYK yeah, yeah, okay. would be? Because yeah, I right, said so. RGB. Yeah, okay, I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, interesting. And so, yeah, and that, that actually kind of reminds me a little bit of um, something like in, in web specifically, like very rarely will you ever actually have fully black text or like zero 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 text. Mm. It's very, especially on white backgrounds or off white backgrounds, it can just be so the contrast is just like too intense and, and the letters become too yeah, it can be offensive almost to your eyes in a way for sure. And so you always sort of yeah, just soften it up a little bit. Yeah, I often play with like. I don't know, 20, 20, 20. Yeah, yeah. As a, we're talking hex values here, yeah. which just means, like, dark grey. Yeah, yeah. Um, it often is nicer on a white background, or maybe you'll do, like, a, a far, 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 which yeah, is, yeah. like, just, just off-white yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, full white on full black can sometimes be be abrasive. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, well, yeah, that's a question I've got for you. Is, is there something a designer needs to know about colour on the web when they're designing something? Yeah, okay. Um... One of the things I run into probably the most um, is when building something into a CMS, it's it's important that all the components, all the little pieces that the user can update or add or move around or modify or whatever it is, that those pieces are all consistent. So, for instance, as an example, you might have a, might add a new blog post and it might have a title that has a certain colour and then you add another blog post and it might be in a different place or it might show up as featured on the homepage or, or something like that. So they might be in different places. And with the CMS, generally um, you're programming it so that these pieces will show up identically. And so that can be a problem when they're in different contexts. And as an example, so you know, if, if you... Well, actually, this is probably a question for you as well, but I imagine that when you're sort of trying to set a colour for something, it really depends on the context around there as well. So, like, what's it next to? What colours are it next to? How big is this coloured area that you're making? Yeah, that's, that's, really that good, that's a really good point. And it's something that's come through in a brand rollout that I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, okay. You know, because you've, you've been around what I'm doing. There's a lot of different touch points and a lot of different contexts. And, yeah, yeah. And some of the discoveries are like, okay, orange on black is a bit off-brand for the vibe we're creating, but mm-hmm. black on this kind of burnt white is really nice. Yeah. Or like the orange as a background with white on top is quite nice. Uh-huh. And so sometimes it's like, it's not enough to just say you've got a colour palette. Yeah, it's like, okay. here are some particular combinations that still feel on brand. Yeah, And right. here are some that we should avoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so then coming back to the CMS perspective, it's 
difficult to sort of make those subtle adjustments in random little spots because you're trying to be programmatic and using components sort of, you know, repeatably everywhere. Yeah. So making these small little adjustments in colour. So you might, you know, have this one colour that's a few or ten or whatever hex pieces off and it's like, okay, like that looks nicer and I can understand why you would design it like that. But then from a programming perspective, it's really difficult to, to, or sometimes it's really difficult to make those small adjustments in places. Yeah, for sure. I wonder, because I feel like when I'm looking at layouts that are resolved now for websites, it's often about, it's like a, it's almost a pattern. So it's like, it's not always this way, but there's a particular repeated flow of colour blocks in the background. Mm -hmm. You know, so Mm -hmm. it might be like black, um, light grey, white. Don't know brand color, white, black, oh, and you then mean it like starts sort of repeating down. horizontal sections of a website. Yeah, different okay. horizontal sections of yep. a website. Um, so I mean, yeah, I wonder whether there's a way of setting it up in a CMS where it's like repeated. Yeah, throughout. yeah, definitely, and and you can do that kind of stuff. But then it, I guess the interesting thing is with a CMS. Say, for instance, you could say you had that content sort of, management system. For that's it. <laughs> those playing at home. Yeah. Um, so if you had sort of a so these horizontal sort of uh, sections or panels of websites that you scroll down long pages. So if you had a white one, then a grey one, then a black one, then a brand colour, and then repeat that. But then what happens if the admin goes in and moves those things around and you end up having white, black, grey brand? And so then because those colours are now next to different colours, they can sometimes be a bit weird or create, um, yeah, like that sort of weird fuzziness or that... um, I don't know what, what you'd even call that, but you know when you have like, if you have like a really strong or, or orange and a really strong blue next to each other, there's that sort of weird visual thing that you can sort of see sometimes. It's almost like a bit of a... Yeah, you need that visual relief. Yeah, yeah. Which, and so, which my good friend White Space is yeah, great at promoting. <laughs> That's it. Like, but, yeah, I'd surround an orange block with white, top and bottom. Yeah, yeah. Probably. And so from a designer's perspective, like when working with a CMS, you've got to think, okay, there's possibilities for all these blocks to be mixed in all different ways. And so trying to consider, okay, let's not try and make any combination too abrasive because the client might end up doing that somehow. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So what are what are some of the nugs that you take away from today? Yeah, I think probably... So the, the nug of the different types of... or the two different types of, um, <clears throat> of colours, so the additive and subtractive, I think that's kind of important. And as well, that's important because there's different primary colours and secondary colours and tertiary colours for each of those as well. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually different altogether for, for each type. And so when people are talking about that kind of stuff, it's important to remember sort of where you're talking about additive or RGB and subtractive or print or CMYK. Um, and then I think finally is just, yeah, what I just spoke about before in terms of designing for a CMS and try to think, keep things consistent and not have too many little design colour exceptions that can be hard to handle from a programming perspective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I guess you would want to have a pretty limited colour palette, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, the less the client has options for in that respect, usually the better. Yeah. Yeah. So just hot pink text. I think that's everything. probably the way to go. I think that's going to yeah. be the divine brand. Bright yellow background. Oh, very good. Very nice. Um, How about yourself? So my nugs are... Yeah, colour palette generators are great, but go uh-huh. beyond them. See them as like a a way of seeing combinations um, and maybe a way of getting the creative juices flowing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then keep going. Yeah, Gather okay. references from places like SiteInspire.com, great resource for web design inspiration, or awards, A-W-W-W-A-R-D-S.com. Um, go through Pinterest and Behance and look for examples. Mm-hmm 
It could be any. It could be a really cool cocktail menu at a bar in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, New York, and you like that color palette. Who knew that pink worked so well on like dark green? You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that could inspire a section on the site. So yeah, I think these generators are cool, but it's one step. Yeah, and I think from a developer perspective, if you're making like a little hobby project, you can, if you're using SAS or CSS variables. Um, you can easily put those colors into those variables and then start making little changes and modifications and saving it. And you can end up seeing your whole website or whatever it is that you've done. Exactly. So then start changing colors and seeing it in the flesh and making sh- adjustments like that. For sure, yeah. yeah. And like if, yeah, if you can identify like, okay, I think this is going to be the lead color for the brand. Let's just say navy blue, like, mm-hmm. you know, a million percent of corporations. And <laughs> that goes in as your lead color uh-huh. in the center. And then you can just click a few buttons and you're going to get all the complementary mm. uh, monochromatic palette, you know, yep. triadic and all the other addicts. Um, yeah. And the other little nug uh, is that, yeah, colour appears vastly different between print and digital. Yeah. If yep. ca- coming up with a colour palette, consider if you want to do anything in print at any point with this kind of identity that you're creating. And if so, maybe consider coming, it up, coming up with the palette as CMYK first. Yeah. Okay. But if not, Go for it with RGB. Yeah, yeah. If it's like purely a digital experience, sure, sure. then benefit Why from not? the wider range of colors and col- the, the wider color spectrum, really. Yeah, right. All right, guys, well, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll be back after the weekend next week. Sounds good. Ciao,